Welcome to Zephyr Yoga Inspiration. I offer these podcasts for free, and your support really does make a difference and is appreciated. To make a donation, please click the link in the episode description or visit ZephyrYoga.com. We're going to continue our journey on working with the Kleshas. The kleshas are fear-based, mental-emotional afflictions that cause us consistent and persistent distress, dis-ease, dissatisfaction, and this ongoing experience of pain and therefore suffering. Now that sounds very depressing. (laughs) And you're like, why? But remembering yoga, according to Gorg Forstein, yoga is an artistic expression of our conscious embodiment. And it's a spiritual science as we discipline our bodies, our minds through our movement of our breath. And so there's this way in which yoga becomes that skillful action in loving awareness of actually fulfilling a deeper purpose. So what is preventing us from actually seeing clearly down that deeper purpose is the first klesha which we worked in our our last session called avidya avidya is this um ignorance it's this lack of awareness it's the distortion over our lenses of our perception we have three lenses supposedly a lens over our mind a lens over our heart or energy and a lens through our body in which our ego likes to identify with so this distortion of this lens is key to the next klesha which we are working with which is called ashmita which is egotism and the Egotism is the I am-ness of the ego falsely identifying by the distorted sense of self seen through avidya. So if you have a distorted sense of self over the mind, your ego will will self-reference as I am my thoughts. If you have a distorted sense of a lens over your heart or energy body, I am my feelings. And then a distorted sense of a lens over your body, I am what I do. So I I am my actions, I am my body. And there is this sense that the ego becomes the center of your personality, you know? And without a sense of self, life would be unlivable. To be honest, we need a healthy ego to live and function. It is a part about being human. And it gives us the perspective on experiences and we are able to coordinate many daily functions. Like I need to wake up on time to get to yoga. I need to eat something. I need to drink something. I need to go to the loo. I need to be on time to go to work. I need to, et cetera, et cetera. That I, I become the center of my story, need to function. And so the ego Uh, mediates between the conscious and unconscious realms, between the internal and external worlds, between the personal and social relationships. We are constantly um, self-referencing and how we relate to everything. And there is this ego that creates this shared reality that we can exist together in. And so... You know, the yoga sutras actually map out the brain and in the brain, we have this kind of neutral ego experience called the amkara, the eye maker. 
And this part of the ego just creates labels like I am Zephyr, that's my name. I am a mother, I am a wife, I am a yoga teacher. And so that I maker, I become the main character of my story, but how I write that story depends upon my core beliefs of myself. So I can reduce myself as what I am, who I am is Zephyr. That is who I am. And then I can then write it as I am either the best or the worst mother, wife, yoga teacher. And so thinking more or less of who and what I think I am by misidentifying by my labels becomes Ashmita. Ashmita thinks that we are this limited self, reducing us to our bodies, our life experiences, our thoughts and our emotions, what we look like, what we can or cannot do, what we don't or um, we do like, you know, it, it, it's this way in which our ego starts to reduce us to our labels, our name, our status, our reputation, our occupation, our accomplishments, and our failures. That is who we are. And it breeds this separateness of myself and everybody else that opens us up to kind of this compare and despair cycle in which grow seeds of self-doubt and insecurity and there is this defensiveness and hypersensitivity that arises and then we become arrogant and intolerant as a result. So this reinforcing this fear-based core belief that we're not enough as we are becomes this um, deepening of this distortion of the lens in which we're perceiving and a gripping of this um, egotism that thinks that you're not enough. You're not lovable enough. You're not smart enough. You're not capable enough. You're not flexible enough. You're not strong enough. You're not worthy enough. You're not valuable enough. And all of a sudden we see that we are being pulled in this downward shame, guilt, and fear spiral and into this distorted, unhealthy sense of self that craves attention. <gasps> when I feel insecure and that ego feels really threatened, it craves attention. It's its nectar. And it will do anything to get its needs met as it becomes the center of the universe. <laughs> and I am the main character in my story and everybody is revolving around me as a satellite. And it loves attention, it loves to win, it loves fame, it loves power and anything to kind of validate its self-importance. So that unhealthy ego then starts to behave in very egocentric ways, self-centered ways, um, that kind of narcissistic arrogance and pride and superiority and narrow-mindedness starts to kind of draw one's perspective, continuing the story of me, mine, and I. And that doesn't feel very good, I'm sure, as you're kind of feeling what that, that directs you to. But a healthy ego is something that we need to function in a in our lives. A healthy ego feels content. A healthy ego is not threatened by change. A healthy ego feels secure in its fundamental needs being met, feeling safe, loved, belonging, and connected to. Um, a healthy ego is open, curious, 
willing to learn and actually explore what it's like to be conscious in in its embodiment and go beyond what it it feels it's limited to so it opens up to the limitless quality of possibilities and opportunities and it's able to listen be more considerate be more compassionate and kind so that healthy ego is something that we're like oh i know and i feel comfortable in my own skin and it feels like whatever happens you know it's not it's not defining who and what i am so we see that the ego is very powerful and recognizing what is motivating the ego is key to practice so we we worked with the gandhi quote that reduced um uh, this kind of philosophical practice of, you know, our beliefs become our thoughts, our thoughts become our words, our words become our actions, our actions become our habits, our habits become our values, and our values become our destiny. And in that way, we start to see, really, are you identifying by fear-based beliefs of yourself or of loving beliefs? You know, our yoga practice builds a lot of power. In the last chapter of the Yoga Sutras, is all talking about these cities, these powers, as a result of building this prana power, this vital energy, and you become really bright, radiant, and full of heat. And if you're putting in that heat a lot of your distorted sense of self, that egotism that thinks either more or less, you're going to create more of the same, more self-doubt, more judgment, more criticism, all that kind of stuff. Or are you putting, you know a more loving kind of kind belief of yourself, a goodness in that flame. So this is why intention is so important to set every time you practice, to kind of right size your ego in what you are valuing. What habits are you re reinforcing? What is motivating your actions? What words are you choosing to communicate with? What thoughts are you entertaining? And where are you directing that prana power in your yoga practice? And what belief of you are you propagating? So our yoga practice is designed to wake us up, to wake us up to the power of the perceiver, the I amness. That healthy ego part of us that just wants to label I amness, like I am conscious. <laughs> and so we start to see the power of the perceiver, but then we open to the power of perception, I ness. So there's a subtle difference between that because the ego misidentifies with the tool, the mind it uses to perceive objects. I know it took me a long time to understand that. The statement, I think, therefore I am, is a perfect example. I think, therefore I am? Who am I when I'm not thinking then? And so questioning yourself in practice, who is that I amness? Who is that I? Ask yourself, who am I? Who am I when I'm not trying to be somebody? Who am I without my accomplishments, without my failures, without my life experiences, without my judgments or beliefs or opinions, without my stuff? Who am I without all of that? 
And we recognize that we hold our self-image so dear that sometimes it overshadows the existence of our core being, our true self, our soul. And yoga states that our true self is pure consciousness. That pure consciousness in yogic terms is sat Chitananda. That's what we truly are, our true nature. Sat is existence. Chit is consciousness, that awareness, the truth. And Ananda is joy, bliss, and happiness. So what we truly are is the existence of consciousness having a joyous embodiment as us. And there's this intrinsic attribute that we all share, that we can touch when we practice and then we become still and quiet and we all of a sudden let go and are in this state of meditation in which we touch what we truly are, not who we are, but what we truly are, what we have always been and what we will always be. So there is that truth of impermanence that everything has a beginning, middle and end, our bodies. We are born, we live, and eventually our body will die. Our plant, seasons, everything in this material world has a beginning, middle and end. Thoughts, emotions, life experiences, everything. But what is consistent according to the philosophy is pure consciousness. It's always there, behind everything, in everything. And it's delighting to experience you in this moment. So this um, way of waking up to consciousness and the way of embodying the I-ness is the point of our practice. To try to contemplate what you truly are and kind of experience the sense of self-existence that occupies the realm of your consciousness. And so what we're going to use in this practice is the mantra, so hum. Inhale, so. Exhale, hum. The meaning is, I am that. Trying to turn your awareness and practice and identify with that benign awareness that is effortlessly perceiving through your eyes, your heart, and your body and resting in that I-ness as a focal point of just pure awareness in this moment, in this moment, in this moment. So it's that um, Ashmita Rupa that starting to identify with the egotism of that feeling of oneness, wholeness, completeness, that wakefulness, that awarefulness, rather than the ashmita klesha, which is that distorted sense of self, like I'm not good enough because I'm not understanding what Zephyr's saying. I, I'm identifying with my pain and my aches and, and I'm really old right now. And I feel so tired and I'm really not looking forward to today. And so I, you know, and, so I, and we just go into this cycle of like, blah, and, we snap ourselves out in practice of starting going, is that who we are or is this a transitory thing? But what I truly am is just consciousness having a hard time. 
So we practice creating this heat, as we said in last session, tapas. Tapas is the practices that create heat for positive change. And in this power, we try to disrupt, provoke and challenge ourselves to see as often as we can how we misidentify with our thoughts, our emotions, and what we can or cannot do in practice. And then in that, svadaya is that ability to self-study, to self-reflect, to understand oneself and how our ego gets in the way. And, you know, detecting when we are stuck in our egotism and our distortion, our own ignorance, by noticing Yoga Sutra 131, our negative thinking, our emotional distress, instability felt in the body and disturbances in the breath that mirror the disturbances of the mind. And we wake up and kind of go, oh, those are all symptoms of me having a hard time and misidentifying by the smallness of self. So what the sutras say is, is that when you notice it, make sure that you cultivate the opposite. So last session we did Pratipaksha Bhavana, that's Sutra 233, of turning whatever you're experiencing, trying to turn it around to see it from another angle, to see it as a teacher. What is it trying to teach you? What is it trying to wake you up to? And that Sutra uh, 133, that we cultivate non-judgmental awareness. Wow, interesting. And then that we befriend ourselves. Wow, we're having a hard time. That ego is really identifying by its aging body right now and feeling less than right now. And then you bring a bit of joy in it. You just like laugh at yourself. You just sort of like laugh at the ridiculousness of sometimes our brain, our heart, our life experience, and just like, wow. And then you bring more compassion, be more empathetic and go, wow, we've, we've really struggling right now, but it's gonna be okay. So there is this way we practice dissolving that avidya, that veil of ignorance that covers that wakefulness, and that we can then notice the narrative, the harsh judgment, the criticism that arises. And as we hear that voice that is communicating through our lens of our sight and our lens of our ego attachment, um, we practice letting go. We let go of that old narrative and that old story. We practice surrendering. So it's that, that experience of Ishvara Pranadana, that letting go and surrendering to the Godhead of your understanding. And in this way, what, how we are practicing is really to create more meaningful connection between the heart-mind, between consciousness and its body, that yoga, that yoking, that union in which we bring... Um, them back together in this oneness, wholeness, completeness. And we find our way comfortably in the seat of this moment, opening to hopefully lasting fulfillment in our day, a deeper contentment within and a freedom from whatever's causing us pain and suffering. And, uh, you know, as you experience that you keep coming back because yoga seems to help purify this heart mind, clean it out so we can perceive life and actually see it as a gift and celebrate a lived experience and turn our attention inwards where we recognize our true self, which is joyous, loving and always free. And that we can actually skillfully navigate our life feeling more purposeful, meaningful, as we reinforce an intention, a deep belief that we there is a basic goodness inside us. We so desire to have a joyous, loving life and not to suffer needlessly. 
But sometimes it happens as a way of teaching us to be more human, but recognizing we're just consciousness having a human experience and we're human beings having a conscious one. If you would like to continue to practice, find out more information about the topics discussed, or to donate to this podcast, please visit ZephyrYoga.com or follow the link in the episode description. I thank you.